Welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world, brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Sarah Crudis, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In today's episode, we'll be discussing sustainable finance, why it is important, and what role data from space can play to grow its reach. I'm joined by Christoph Christian, Innovation and Impact Lead at the Oxford Sustainable Finance Programme, Marion Crichton, Group Managing Director at For Earth Intelligence, and Beth Burks, Director of Sustainable Finance for S&P Global. The transition to a sustainable global economy will be the most capital-intensive transition in human history. Sustainable finance is about aligning the financial system with global sustainability. This focus is becoming increasingly relevant as our economic activities reach beyond the natural and social boundaries of our planet. A new and resilient financial system is required to underpin this economic transition, getting financial markets to integrate climate change, environmental and social sustainability into their decision making will help institutions appropriately manage risk and reduce losses. But how can information from space empower this process? Satellite data has some inherent qualities that could complement current information sources within the finance sector. Satellite imagery, for example, offers a non-invasive and unbiased source of data compared to self-reported information. However, despite offering frequent standardized analysis, satellites and geospatial data have not yet been widely used. So how can we implement the use of this data within the finance industry? Christoph, I just wanted to start by asking you, how can space help and why now? Why is now the time to use space-based assets to help with sustainable finance? I think right now is the time because, as you said, we're facing these these, these global crises, um, climate change, biodiversity loss, a whole bunch of things that the last couple of years have really massively accelerated and grown, um, gone up on the agenda internationally um, of, of policymakers, but equally of actually financial institutions and the financial system. They're increasingly um, starting to realize that, let's say, climate change is not only you know, it's, it's causing a threat to, to economic stability uh, generally, which therefore also means to the financial system. Um, and financial institutions are trying to, are, are starting to realize that climate change and these other um, threats are, you know, financially impacting the, the assets and the holdings that they're, that they're working with. Uh, and they need ways to, to understand this. They need ways to um, understand the risks that they're exposed to. They need ways to understand the impacts that the investments are having on the planet, on the environment, uh, which in turn is causing a whole bunch of risks around reputation or, or litigation or, or financial in, in the far future even more. And uh, they need data for this. Um, and traditionally, um, financial institutions rely on, 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 on information that companies disclose, typically financial information, and even for the non-financial information on um, sustainability and, 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 and a whole bunch of other uh, impacts or corporate social responsibility performance. Um, the only, or typically the only source or the main source of information that they have is, is corporate disclosure. So what do companies themselves tell their investors that they're doing? Uh, and there's a lot of, 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 let's say, challenges with this, 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 this data. It's obviously self-reported. It's... Um, 
It's not very frequently updated. It comes once a year. Not everyone is reporting this type of data because they don't have to. There's no standards. It's not mandatory. Uh, and when companies do report on this, actually, it's because there's no standards, it's super inconsistent. Like you can't actually compare what one company is doing against another, even if they report because they report on different things and different levels of detail and different metrics, etc. So there's so many inherent data challenges uh, with what they have. Um, that we believe at, at uh, the sustainable finance program, but also at the catapult and I think more broadly the, the, the space sector, that there is a role to play for space-based assets um, and the data that they can generate to complement these, these, these um, disclosures and to provide a source of information to financial institutions that is a lot more, or they could be a lot more, let's say, neutral. They can be a lot more scalable, that you can really look at certain aspects of, 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 of climate change or impacts on a global level. Um, uh, and that is also inherently more comparable. If you use the same instruments, you look at the same type of things, you can see what's changing over time, what's changing in different regions. Uh, and you actually have data that's comparable, consistent, uh, and collected frequently. And it's that as an inherent value proposition that, that space-based data has that is super valuable, could be really valuable for the financial sector that's trying to get their head around these, these new challenges. And it's that what we're trying to, to promote and stimulate really also by bringing together uh, or at least activating the, the, the space sector and capabilities to work with finance, with the financial system uh, to, to tackle these challenges together. And what are the key opportunities at the moment? Opportunities are, are huge. I mean, first of all, there's so many risks that actually... Um, <laughs> In a way, these risks are opportunities from a commercial sense, but the, 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 the main kind of, let's say, driver for this data is very much the risk um, angle or framework that, that, that financial institutions are looking at. But besides the whole risk piece, there's actually also a whole uh, range of opportunities, which is even in the, in, in the spatial finance that we talk about, is still quite underdeveloped, which is around how do we use geospatial data sets actually to not just look at risks, but at impacts, which is maybe easier, but even more at opportunities, right? How can we use the data to inform where capital should flow to actually address some of these challenges, not just mitigate risk, but actually how do you address the underlying factors? How can you identify where to um, invest in emission reduction or natural um, nature-based solutions for carbon capture or, um, you know, inform policy to stop certain, uh, let's say, deforestation or other things. So it's the opportunities are, are across the whole sustainable finance data scale, if you like. Uh, on the risk side, we're really seeing the, the thinking mature and the data develop. But there's a lot more opportunity on the opportunity space um, that, that I think we really need to rapidly develop if we, we want to take you know, the actions of, uh, of the Paris Agreement and, and COP, etc. seriously. And Mariam, I can see you nodding along there. And you're from Four Earth Intelligence. And can you just first of all explain what Four Earth Intelligence is actually doing and what solutions you can potentially provide for sustainable finance as we move forward in the future? Well, it kind of um, says what we don't do, what we say, it says on the tin, really. Four Earth Intelligence, we provide Earth Intelligence. Um, we are a technology and geospatial and earth observation remote sensing specialist company. And we've always focused on environmental change and change intelligence. But now we have a very specific focus and dedicated innovation team of sustainable finance experts and earth observation specialists working to tackle uh, the problems that Christophe has just been talking about. So um, our, our vision is for Earth Intelligence uses space data for the betterment of humans and the planet. With my, our partic my particular focus, my day job is sustainable finance. And to sort of um, 
my perspective, um, almost repeating what Christoph has just said from my perspective, you know, why is are people just looking at sustainable finance uh, now and looking at geospatial data now? Uh, from my perspective, I can see two two um, two things that have happened recently. One is um, the reporting frameworks in the financial sustainable financial world have just come in place. For example, the TCFD came in place in two thousand seventeen. As Christoph said, a lot of the things that have come in place are not mandatory; they're voluntary, um, but. People are starting to look with, with climate change being the fashion now. What people, climate companies are looking to see what can they do, and as Christoph said, reputation. So suddenly, these new reporting frameworks uh, and drivers have come into place in the last few years, and what they where this has triggered the need for satellite and Earth observation data in the recent last few years. Why? Earth observation plays a part in providing metrics and insights um, needed for the compliance to these new reporting frameworks and the new initiatives. So Earth observation can provide evidence of change intelligence by mapping and monitoring uh, and reporting of physical environmental risks. Um, we're kind of like, I mean, people won't like this phrase. You can edit this out, but no, it's no, actually no, so like, <laughs> we're kind of like police in the sky that's watching the planet. And but with that, of course, that comes a lot of legal implications because can you? But you know, we can how... own the data actually, so we can own. We can look into a prince's palace, or we can look into an oil concession area, and we can own that data. So when it comes to that independence uh, and that verification and the evidence. Um, you know, we can provide the value proposition is that uh, unbiased evidence that you can prove um, what's happening with uh, company disclosures. But the second perspective, separate to why now are these two areas, sustainable finance and uh, earth observation um, and geospatial meeting, is it's only recently really that the technology has just advanced enough to be able to provide data um accurately um, and efficiently um, ready for com commercial applications. The commercialization of the space industry is new. Data once the preserve of governments is now democratized and publicly available to the masses. This has only just happened in the last few years. Um, and data costs, you know, in the last decade have been redu reduced by 10 times the amount. And now, satellite com you can have private satellite companies that can afford to put specialist satellites up in the uh, into space to start capturing specific climate change use cases. So we are seeing this convergence. So, you know, governments go first, private industry follows. We've seen that throughout exploration on Earth. We're, we're now seeing this with space, uh, you know, and as you mentioned there, space is being democratised. But on the flip side, how do you police this data? How do we ensure? Because in one way, it's showing... It's unbiased because you're able to get correct data for the finance interview, but how do you ensure that that data is kept within the, the correct hands? How do we manage this in the right way so it's effective for everyone globally and it's fair? Well, I guess that's where we touch do no harm. Um, and in a way, um, the uses for sustainable finance, the intention there is to is for ESG, environmental, social governance.
But when it comes to policing the data, there's, it's a big gray area when you move out of that field. And data ethics is something actually that we're leading on in the UK, uh, the use of data. Um, there is um, in the United Kingdom, we have something called the Locus Charter, uh, which has produced a set of principles of data ethics that we're trying to drive uh, to lead in the world with driving principles on how to use data um, in an ethical way. Because actually we can take the data and we can give company data, but we don't know, no one really knows what anyone does with the data. If you give the data to a company or government, you never really know what people are doing with it. So that's, that's an interesting, and it's one of those where, you know, we do know data is king when it comes to the space sector. Looking back at Earth, you know, the the, the value proposition from, from using data from space is huge. But in terms of, we've almost got to get the legal regulation developing alongside what we're doing because it is so new. Is that fair to say? Indeed. And, and it's very early stages this year that... Uh, uh, very key people in geospatial in the UK are getting together for roundtables to discuss this topic. And I'm just going to bring Beth in now. Um, and you, you represent kind of a flip side of this because you've gone from kind of like the traditional finance industry and then you've gone across to the um, more uh, you know sustainable finance industry. So with your work at S&P Global, what do you think needs to change culturally to um, adapt to the benefits that can come from space-based data so that we can drive forward uh, more sustainable finance and, and meet all these challenges that we face right now? No, I think that's a great question on on culture, and I'll, I'll come back to that. But, I, you know, just to say um, at S&P Ratings, what we do for the financial markets is we give opinions, and our opinions are usually to do with credit ratings. So it's an opinion that um, whether a company has the ability and the willingness to pay back the money it's borrowed. Um, so that's really what we do on a sort of day-to-day. -day. Um, in the last few years, uh, we've introduced new opinions um, to the market, which is around how companies are performing on environmental, social and governance factors. Um, so those are kind of two key product areas. Um, and so I work on the sort of sustainability side, the sustainable finance side. But ultimately, you know, when it comes to this kind of information, what we're really after is anything that can strengthen our ability to do our day-to-day, to do our, our job about, um, you know, what could disrupt um, a company's ability to pay its debt, for example, or what could, um, you know, give us more insight into how they're performing on environmental, social uh, and governance issues, particularly on the impact side. Um, so what do we do then? You know, that's our day to day. So how do we bring in new data sets? How do we bring in new information such as um, Earth observation or satellite or just any geospatial data set? Um, well, firstly, you know, it tends to start out as an area of research for us. Um, so we will do uh, partnerships with universities. Um, I myself uh, took a master's program, did a GIS course, um, did some spatial analysis to help build that use case of, um, you know, using satellite data. We looked at uh, U.S. public water utilities and the credit ratio. So the financial ratio that we um, analyze to determine its ability to pay back on its debt and um, correlated it uh, using machine learning techniques um, with uh, satellite data and land use impacts. And ultimately what that study showed was that water utilities located um, in near evergreen forests and in uh, regions of the US with uh, snow-capped mountains tended to have stronger credit ratios. 
Now, that's just a short study. We did it over a two-year period. We rate 1,600 US water utilities. So it's a pretty large data sample. But it's an indication that there may be um, some understanding that these things interact. And we know that from science, right? And if you think about a mountainous region with beautiful snow and evergreen forests, you know, you want to drink that water. So maybe there is, it makes sense from a sort of common sense perspective. Um, But really, you know, we have to build those those use cases internally. Um, And and really, you know, it's all about whether or not that's going to ultimately strengthen our opinion. Um, and on the flip side, you know, on the risk side, um, so we know we found out what maybe might be supportive of credit ratios. But on the risk side, climate risk is obviously that area that we've done a huge amount of research into um, using geospatial data, including um, you know, data that's been derived from satellites um, into understanding the sort of risk exposure piece um, that the companies that we're uh, analysing um, have to various different climate change risks. And and that area of research um, we've been expanding on. So we started out in, in sectors that kind of have, um, ultimately our constraint is that we can only do that kind of analysis on companies and sectors where they're really fixed assets and those assets do not move. Um, so we've been very successful in applying it to airports, to utilities, um, to um mortgage-backed securities, which is a huge area of finance, um, you know, focusing on pooling together everyone's mortgages, including our own. Um, so that area. Um, so we've been very successful in sort of kind of, you know, doing a lot of research around around that. Um, so we have been able to partner with organisations, use this data, and and really ultimately, you know, what is our end goal there? It's, it's not necessarily, because exposure is just one part of it, Vulnerability is another when it comes to climate change. Um, and then adaptability is, is, is the final piece, right? So we use this, these kinds of data sets to inform our view of the kind of risk exposure. Um, but ultimately, um, that doesn't necessarily get automatically plugged into our models because there's that adaptability piece. Um, so we use it to inform our dialogues that we have with um uh, companies that are accessing the capital markets. Um, so we can ask them, you know, once we have an understanding of their risk exposure, um, what are they doing to adapt to that? What are they planning? Um, and how are they thinking about it? And, you know, just caveating all that, there's a huge amount of uncertainty in, in a lot of these models. And when you're blending data sets, as we all know, um, how the uncertainties interact is like a huge component. Um, and so I think really, you know, building into our organization, that know-how, that knowledge, that um, scientific experience has kind of been um, a new venture for for our team in particular. And our team is, you know, not many years old. Um, We're about 50 people now. Two years ago, we were 10. Um, (laughs) So So you're growing. (laughs) We're growing. (laughs) And we're growing and we're bringing scientists in as well. So I think that's been like a key, um, you know, barrier that we had before, uh, which is helping us, you know, bridge that gap between the use case um, that Earth observation scientists um, know is there. We can all feel yeah. it's there. <laughs> would, would you say we're almost at a tipping point then that we, this data from space is just going to disrupt things and, and for a good and going to provide ways of meeting challenges like never before and it's that, that marriage almost of you know Mariam your, your background's fascinating because you've got this geophysics background this skills and an entrepreneur and this marriage of your skills um to actually 
transform the future of finance and, and to benefit lives on earth. Indeed, I think the key word you just said there, Sarah, was disrupt. You know, yeah. innovation is always disrupting, and I think um, there are many innovative commercial applications for Earth observation. But it's um, as Beth just said, um, ESG data providers. It's really innovative. If you're talking to environmental consultants in the last year, all there are brand new teams that have popped up, and um, people are saying we're there are press headlines saying we're going to employ twenty two thousand. Sustainable finance. There aren't probably 22,000 sustainable finance people available. It's bleeding edge. So we're taking two cutting edge sectors and trying to discover where they meet. And that's what I'm dedicated to at the moment. But again, the word you used there was disruptive. Who wants their business models, their products disrupted? But how do we manage that then? How do we, how do we integrate that? Well, I think you have to innovate. I think we're in a stage now of the world where things are in total flux. Uh, I think the the US military term is the VUCA, so <laughs> volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and I forget the A, but, um, you know, that's, that's the new norm. So I think organisations and, you know, one of the things we look at when we do analysis on ESG of companies um, um, so just putting aside what we're doing internally first, uh, when I analyse a company on their ESG performance, we always look at their preparedness. Um, and that's a conversation we have with the board um, of that organisation about how they're thinking about long-term strategy development, um, how they're thinking about disruptive trends and um, how they're integrating those disruptive trends within their strategic development so that they're preparing to kind of disrupt themselves. And I think that that seems to be a theme that we're, we're hoping to do. But the way you do that, I think, is to come up with really innovation is better, I think, maybe done outside as seems to be the norm. I don't know if you'd agree. Yeah, I think with innovation, you know, um, it's hard for large companies to innovate. We know that. And I think having um, dedicated small units mm -hmm. with a specific focus who can in fact, what's really important is diverse teams and that diverse thinking. What's really hard to find, um, you know, this year we, we've got a dedicated sustainable finance team. And what that means is we've got earth observation specialists sitting next to sustainable finance experts. And that, fair, I've not heard of anyone else doing that right now in the UK, but it's very rare to find those two professions sitting side by side because, the, as you said, the culture is different, the way we speak is different, the way we think is different, we've got different approaches, we've got completely different vocabulary. And what's absolutely key, sometimes I've talked to um, big sustainable finance companies and uh, or financial um, services companies and I've said, when it, when it comes to who you're going to work with, who you're going to pick, um, when it comes to geo uh, solutions, who are you going to pick? They go, the ones that we understand, the ones we can understand what they're saying, communication. And I think what's absolutely key is you've got like, you know, Earth observation is a niche within the niche of geospatial and it's really... Oh, you see Christoph laughing. It's, really, <laughs> it's really nerdy. It's really geeky. We can't say two sentences without saying the word spatial. You know, it's how do we communicate outside our sector to a different sector? I mean, it's 
so unique that we've got Beth here who happens to have a master's in GIS and be in the ESG. It's a really unique background. It's almost unheard of as well. So the communication of our ability as a sector to communicate with this specific sustainable finance and vice versa, I've had to had to hire sustainable finance experts because there is a huge amount of jargon in the sustainable finance landscape. The, the types of reportings, the acronyms, the complexity. You know, I tried to do it. I thought, I can't do this without having someone, an interpreter next to me. How do we make this less rare? What would you, you know, is this something where the government can help or is it like a skills? How do we blend these um, skills? Um, and any of you can answer if you want so that we can make this something which can be less rare and can actually help the industry. So we've got people who talk different versions of geek, I suppose, so that we, we've got people who understand the geospatial industry, but also understand sustainable finance can be blended together. Is that something which needs to change culturally? I think you just need to break down the silos and start having conversations with others. I met Christoph uh, a few years ago, sat in a sustainable finance event, um, got chatting satellite data, and I think I was about to start my GIS course at that stage. And I think it's just, you know, you've, you've got to follow your interests. And there seems to be something here. And I think, you know, people within sustainable finance are observing that now uh, you're starting to see, like, people working on investment fund uh, business cases where they're looking at nature-based solutions for carbon sequestration. And you're starting to see that there's a there's a inkling of uh, those with a finance background are becoming more interested in this space. And so those with an earth observation or space background who are interested in finance, we just need to connect um, because there's a bridge there. I'm, I'm certain of it. Um, and yeah, I think it's just we've been able to at least show, you know, at ratings that um, it is useful uh, for our dialogues with with companies, um, particularly around things like climate change, as that's been an incredibly important issue that we need to solve now. Just to play devil's advocate, picking up mm -hmm. off that, Christoph, what would happen if what would happen if we don't do this? How how pressing a project, a, a how pressing a problem, how urgent a need of it need is this? to incorporate geospatial data into finance? Well, I can say it's super pressing, we need to do it, but that's more from a kind of industry perspective kind of view, and, and, and I don't think I fully agree with that even. So I think there's kind of two, two things to it. In a way, the space sector can get their act together and, and support the sustainable finance agenda, because this is happening, like even without the space sector, um, it's gonna happen. Space data, it can be super valuable, but on its own, it's also just a source of data and it, it needs to be brought into context, it needs to be understood in context. The space sector cannot on its own develop products or solutions for sustainable finance. Sustainable finance in itself is inherently multidisciplinary. There's also no such thing as a sustainable finance expert, except maybe someone who knows about the policies going on and the, and the reporting frameworks, but that's not the gist of it. The gist of it is understanding what in each specific sector are the key sustainability issues. How are they materially impacting the industry, a specific business? And how do you then go about assessing this for which you need different types of data and insights, but you need to understand the sector. You need to understand a lot more than just finance, just the sector, just space data, etc. So it's inherently multidisciplinary. Uh, and space data is one component of the data cocktail solution that's going to be needed to drive this forward at pace. It's a super exciting 
element and it can really capture the imagination of what is possible. And therefore, I think we can play a role in pioneering and putting, pushing, like accelerating some of this forward. But again, on its own, if we don't adapt it to, in a way, the culture and the language of the financial sector, if we don't work with other types of data providers, financial data providers, rating providers, but equally, you know, other, you know, climate modelers or whatever, um, uh, other types of data scientists that can actually analyze this stuff at scale, then again, we're never going to be able to do this in, in isolation. Finance is such a, com a complicated sector or market. It's, it's also not just one market or sector. There's so many types of users, so many different things that are needed. Uh, there's lots of opportunities, but we need to integrate, we need to connect, and we need to bring them together. It's something we've been trying to do with the Spatial Finance Initiative, bringing together these communities. I think it's starting to pick up a bit more now um, because the need is there from the market and because there's a need and inkling of, of, of interest. And there's these early adopters that we're seeing in SMP, but a couple of others as well, some asset managers, some pension funds even showing some interest. Um, so it's, it's getting there, but I think, from at least from the space sector perspective, we need to be a lot more proactive and be a lot more open for collaboration and, and put ourselves out there and learn from what they need rather than pushing what we traditionally do very well. Look at our cool data set. It comes from space. Why don't you want it? So we need to become a lot better at, at, at that. So we need more integration within uh, the two industries. Would you say at the moment um, space-based data is in, in some ways underexploited for the finance industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's underexploited, and but it's also it's also not made available in a format or in formats or in metrics that financial sector can digest. It's not that it's lying there ready for finance to be integrated. There's as I said, there's this gap, right? You need to meet in the middle, uh, and 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 both both sectors can play this role. And it's super cool to see that organizations like SNP growing their teams tremendously, hiring scientists and data specialists, so that actually they have people who can interpret what, what our sector and what, what Mariam is providing in a meaningful way. So as soon as that capacity is starting to be there, this is the, t the moment and this is the time to, to, to step in and offer stuff and develop products and solutions. What more do you need to solve this? Is it more people like Mariam and more companies like For Earth Intelligence? What more is needed to bridge this kind of gap? I think it goes back to what Christoph was saying around it. The data needs to be digestible in a way that's useful for what we do. And um, in our organization, yes, okay, we also, we rate the debt capital markets and the debt capital markets are um, various different types of insurers. So usually I say companies, but we also do public institutions, um, governments. Uh, we also look at, like I said, these sort of mortgage-backed securities, um, banks and so on. And actually when you look at kind of, if you take a huge step back and if you look at the environmental impacts and the social impacts then and the sort of problems that we're trying to solve, um, a lot of those don't directly occur in the companies accessing the capital markets. Um, they occur in their supply chains. Um, they occur in the local communities. Um, they c occur in people's homes, right? Like emissions in, in, in our homes are a big thing. Um, so it's not enough to just know what's going on. It's knowing what's going on and then linking it to the entities that we analyze uh, who are accessing the capital markets. Um, so, um, you know, I cover Unilever, for example. A lot of their uh, emissions actually occur in their supply chain. And also when um, their customers, when we use our shampoo and we heat up our water to wash our hair, that's uh, that's where the bulk of their emissions occur. It doesn't happen in Unilever's. So that's interesting to say yeah. that because the layperson might think sustainable finance doesn't affect me, but it is. It's those day 
day-to-day products, day products is as simple as having a shower and yes. washing your hair and that affects something and that's affecting this industry. And I think so often we think space doesn't relate to us, mm-hmm. but it relates to so much. And if we're going to succeed in, in meeting these huge challenges that we face as a planet, something such as finance adapting and using space-based data is is key. Yeah, I, I would think so, because I think that, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to fill in the blanks. And, um, you know, I remember studying that, you know, you can use nighttime lights imagery from space and you can estimate highly localized economic activity within where it's not being collected by governments. And so there's a gap filling that's been done on the economic side um, that I think we need to sort of leverage and, and translate over to the sustainable finance side on emissions and biodiversity impacts and the like. So it's, it's a, and in terms of what you're doing, Mary, um, what does the, the future hold? We, we were looking, we've got this problem and we've got a solution, but we don't know how to bridge them just exactly. yet. I mean, for example, exactly what you just said, Beth, you know, uh, looking at night lights, um, we have what's called the wealth index where we look at um, um, where there is le- light at night and we infer because you have access to electricity, you must have some indication of wealth. But um, how do does someone like Forth Intelligence then... You know, what's the specific use case for that in sustainable finance? So that's exactly where we're starting to meet. So it's quite exciting we're having this conversation right now at this table. Um, Again, um, collaboration is key. You know, what Christoph was referring to is no one person can solve it. You need diverse disciplines. Collaboration is key. That takes a certain type of mindset, attitude and leadership because... For example, within the Earth observation and space sector, certainly SMEs are very competitive, very, 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 very competitive. So, but we have to work together because no one Earth observation company can fulfill all the needs required by the sustainable finance to solve the problem. Typically, in an you know an Earth observation company, they're very small actually. A lot of companies are like under 20, 15 people. Um, and so they will focus on a like mapping snow and that's what they do. So there are hundreds of metrics out there um, in sustainable finance. Uh, my team spent a lot of this year mapping all, understanding all those financial metrics and mapping where does earth observation fit in. And we fit into, you know, just part of them. And, and so we can't solve all the data problems. We can solve maybe 60 metrics or something I think we've got. And then even of those 60 metrics, only... 30 of them fully can we help and some of them only partially can we help. And so even if Earth observation companies collaborated together, um, we still need to work with other players to solve the problem. And this is a barrier and why this area is so complicated because a big bank doesn't want to talk to lots of small Earth observation companies. They just want to talk, go to one data provider who just sorts it out for them. Mm. So is and- there a business need here, Something, someone to be that middle person, so to speak, or that middle organisation? Yeah, so, I mean, we source most of our data internally through our other... um, So I work in the ratings division of S&P Global, and within S&P Global, we have something called market intelligence, and they own a lot of data, um, ultimately, that they lease or have acquired through various acquisitions, including TrueCost, where I used to work. Um, So who do all of our climate analytics um, models and all of that that I talked about, you know, we we get it through through them. But it is 
much easier to work with one organization that's a real innovator in terms of understanding what data could be most useful to us. Um, so I think it is good to have those kind of bridges. Uh, and Mariam, how would you like to see more collaboration? Because you mentioned it and it's true, there's so much competition. And how, how do we work together? Well, you know, one of the barriers, there's many barriers for um, um, productizing and commercializing space data and earth observation data to be applied to sustainable finance. I mean, there's lots I could go on for a long time. But one of them is simply um, access to talking to sustainable finance professionals. Um, typically, you know, technology companies, we don't have in our network um, banks, bankers, asset managers. It's, it's amazing I get to meet Beth today. Um, we, we don't have that accessibility. We're not known. And typically, um, it's only the very innovative ESG data providers and very people who are willing to the early adopters who would want to talk to us if they didn't know us. It's a very quite an exclusive who you know type sector. So a huge barrier is um, we're really open to collaborate, but um, communities or forums or spaces where we're allowed to actually meet with and get to know people in the financial services, ESG consultants and ESG data providers. So you, you've almost got that merging of culture. You've got the startup culture and then you've got the juggernauts, the finance industry. And it's about getting those two to work together and to have that almost like startup mentality working with the finance industry. And I know you want to pick up just now, Christoph. Yeah, I think so on, on this side, absolutely. It's 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 having these communities talk to each other and get to know each other and, and, and speak and engage with each other. But I think, and this is like, what do we need to do to get our sector accelerate integration with, with finance? I think... There's no lack of events of financial institutions talking about the data challenges they have for how sustainable they are, what they're doing with sustainable finance. It was easier before lockdown. There were lots of kind of physical events. There's lots of events you could go and, and at least go and listen to a bunch of panels of like, you know, typically still uh, older white men talking about um, why what they're lacking on sustainable finance, what they're doing on sustainable finance, why they need more and better data. There's, there's no lack of reports, I would say, financial institutions complaining about the lack of data. So if you go... That comes back to, I guess, a culture of our industry or our tech industry, I don't know, just proactively going out and actually engaging with your user communities, right? And particularly in this space, because everyone loves to talk about sustainable finance. Everyone loves to talk about it. No one's actually doing it properly. Oh, pardon. But I think many are not doing it properly. Uh, so I think the, the, there's a proactiveness that our sector can 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 adopt in terms of culture. And then what we are trying to do with, with Oxford, with the Catapult and with the Space Finance is indeed create these opportunities to come together and create a space where, you know, at least you've got a room of people that are marginally interested in a, in a topic of spatial finance, which is also, a, you could say, a, a concept that we've just come up with over the last couple of years to make this something to talk about at least and, and, and put a name on it. Um, so we're, we're trying to stimulate that as a market. Um, but even without that, I think there's there's so much on this topic because it's growing so much um, that you can find no lack of reports or even events. It's harder now with webinars and you can't really network, but even even physically uh, to, to, to find the, these professionals. So do you think governments almost need to act as a bridge between these organisations, at least to stimulate it initially? I don't know if it's governments, um, but I think... I think there's there's probably a couple of um, either trade association or kind of like sector representation organizations. There's some in the space sector. There's quite a few also actually in 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 finance, particularly you know coalitions that talk about 
getting to net zero or or align with with Paris or climate action 100 plus on on engagement with 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 the top 100 plus companies, and a lot of them also actually either have working groups on data or they will address data as an issue. So I think these are like as as industry representatives, they could both sides be a lot more proactive in either engaging with the range of alternative data providers that are out there our sector engage with the range of financial institutions and or industry representations to just showcase generally what we're doing and what's possible because there's there's a theoretical value proposition right it's just then getting them getting them together and i think there's so many trade bodies on both sides in a way or representatives catapult is a semi public one um so i don't have to think it has to be government per se but there's there's, there's so many institutes that can that can drive this forward so if we can get over that hurdle. We've got the, you know, we've got this resource. It's currently underexploited. But if we can get over that, if we can bridge the gap, then what is the potential? How does this change the finance industry? And how does it move it forward? Can we predict what it will be like in the future? Well, then we can only hope that the finance industry will use the data to make the right decisions. That's, that's, <laughs> well, that's, that's a different that's podcast. That's a different thing. <laughs> but I think one of the one of the things I find exciting and interesting is. On the observation side, there's also a lot of like openly available data from Sentinel and NASA. And actually, we're seeing quite a lot uh, NGOs and for-profits and campaigning organizations leverage and use these technologies to hold businesses to account, to also hold investors and financial institutions to account. So even if if this doesn't accelerate fast enough in the finance side, let's say, the NGOs are really picking it up and they're they're shouting about it and they, they use the same data to pinpoint what someone could use as a risk indicator to say, look, this is what this company is doing as a damage, um, whereas they've promised in this policy that they wouldn't be doing this, etc. So there's a massive potential also for for third parties on the on the civil society as well as the regulator and financial regulator space to use the same underlying technologies to make sure it happens anyway, right? So it's like you can embrace it now and use it to your advantage, or otherwise, you know, you'll be overtaken by by other organizations that will hold you to account. So if 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 this does happen, and I, I'm sure it will, uh, then I think there's mechanisms in place that we will hopefully get to channel capital in the right direction, or at least a lot more scrutiny in terms of what was finance next, etc. So this could potentially enable more equality on Earth. Potentially, well, that's what we hope, and as a theory, but. I think that the key thing actually is, is transparency. This can really increase transparency in very, let's say, uh, opaque, um, opaque markets, but kind of opaque, opaque and vague um, sphere of what are we saying versus what are we actually doing, how are commitments being 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 followed or not, uh, and and try to move from the the kind of the the talk to the action, right? Uh, so the transparency, I think, is the, is the really powerful proposition here. And just moving on, because we're sadly out of time, unfortunately, but if we could just finish up by, and I'll start with you, Mariam, why is this so exciting for you personally and where do you hope we'll get in the future? For me, what we're doing here is people with money have all the power and that's financial services. So if you're going to make change, great, there are people recycling, making them feel good, there's people doing activism, but actually people with the money have all the power. So what we're looking to do is gamify how people make money by fl- the money flowing into um, for good activities, for green activities, and that's what we're doing. And for me personally, m- my background is in um, product and product innovation, and from the beginning of my career in GIS and mapping, um, 
I want to unlock its potential to make it used by the mainstream. And I've always wanted to make mapping mainstream. And it's frustrating that, you know, our sector really holds it all in and the commercial, real, everyday use of our data to do something helpful and positive is my passion. Fantastic. So we go to space for Earth. And, you know, I think what space teaches us is that we're all in it together. And if we can use space-based data, it needs to be for all of us. And I'm just going to come to you, Christopher, and then to you, Beth, but with the same question, you know, what excites you? Why, why should we care so much about this? And where are we heading in the future? I think it's very similar to what Mariam said is, whoever has the money has the power in a way, but because it's such a strong leverage for change, right? In the end, most of us in, a lot of people in sustainable finance, or at least work on it and the data, et cetera, they're in because we care about sustainability and we want to drive behavioral change. We want to actually, you know, improve, reduce climate change, improve sustainability and, you know, better world for everyone and, 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 and all that good stuff. And finance is a, is a potentially really powerful and efficient lever to drive this. If the money doesn't follow you're never going to get it done. The money in its own is obviously also not enough, but you need to get them on board. And that's why, particularly again, then having this really cool technology or like data sets and technology that speak to the imagination can actually help do that shift in a, in a, in a faster, more efficient way. It's, it's, the, it's the potential and, and trying to get, the, get that potential to materialize, I think is super exciting. And Beth? I think what makes me most excited is that it's bringing transparency to issues um, that have not had a loud enough voice yet. So I think, you know, Mariam was telling me that, um, you know, some of their programs are looking at soil contaminations um, using drone and satellite imagery. Um, You know, if you don't know where the problem is, how can you know how to channel the finance towards that area to fix it. So I think there's a huge um, gap in in terms of our understanding of where these problems are most, um, you know, in need of finance and um, how do we use our existing capital market structure to channel it in, in that direction. And it may not be about, in my view, it's not really about attacking those who have the money, it's about you know telling that story so that those who have the money can channel it in the right direction um, because I, I, I fundamentally believe that quite most people have good intentions they just don't know what's going on <laughs> I think that's an excellent excellent point to, an excellent point to end this on I think we you know most people do want to do good and I think space gives us that opportunity to do better for the planet across a whole you know broad section of industry so Beth Mariam and Crystal thank you so much for your time to hear future episodes of In Orbit be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook.